0: Listening to Left of the Dial, I'm your host Kitsy, and with me, as always, is Caleb Cougar Mellencamp Coy, <laughs> the Coog. I love it. <laughs> oh, I just, I,
1: I'm still not over the fact that like we've known each other for over a decade, and you're just today learning how much I like John Mellencamp. Like it makes me wish that I had actually put a Mellencamp record into the. Uh, into the mix for upcoming episodes, like only to f- like find that out, and when you're like, "Why the fuck would we listen to this?" <laughs> Caleb, what are we, what did you pick for us this week? Ah, yes. So you just heard Never-Ending Circles" by Churches from the album "Every Open Eye." So I'm actually I'm really excited about this uh, this episode because we had plans, and as often happens with plans, uh, they came to naught. And so, with uh, maybe two hours to spare before recording, we had to improvise. And so, uh, we uh, very easily, I think, grasped onto two records that we both know and love very well and uh, have bonded over. And of course, as I mentioned, my pick was this, this Church's record, which actually came out when we were living together in Oakland.
0: That's true. I remember when this came out and you were like, yo, you need to check this band out. This record is awesome.
1: Yes. And I was uh, like...
0: I'm like, isn't that a pop band? I don't know. (laughs) But then I did, and holy shit, were you right?
1: So, so good. Yeah, I knew about uh, Churches from a... Really, only a couple tracks off of the uh, the previous record, uh, "The Bones of What You Believe." Uh, I didn't even know the name of the record because I don't think I had listened to the entire one. But I like I was super super hooked on the track "Lungs," uh, and then "The Mother We Share" and a couple others. And so this record dropped, and I was like, "I'm a poke at this," and I think. This was one of those ones where, like, I I maybe listened to like 30 seconds of a track and then bought it, which should tell you something because, you know, we had just moved to one of the most expensive cities in the country. And I paid money for music, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which you should always do. The The second part, you should pay the money for music. Don't move to San Francisco. No, that's, that's the wrong part of the story.
1: But yeah, so I, I picked Never Ending Circles to kick the, the episode off because it's such a fucking jam as an opener to the record that it, like, it seemed foolish to pick anything else to start the podcast, it's just this huge, like. It, it's it's weird to be able to say this because I mean churches is a Scottish electro pop band essentially like it's all electronic it's all like for the most part synth there is some live instrumentation they have like some live drums and bass uh, especially in their like actual concert performances but for the most part it's very like heavy synth driven and so to think of a synth song as like anthemic it almost doesn't make sense to say that and yet this song is this song drives so hard.
0: Yeah, no, they really nail, like, like they're somehow a rock band with no guitars. Yeah,
1: that's, that's
0: exactly it. <laughs> and that's a really interesting thing, because their songs are absolute jams. They're definitely, you know, I could see a rock band playing these songs and them fitting in perfectly. So the fact that they made songs of that feel with nothing but synthesizers is pretty damn amazing, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it just
0: goes to show what amazing songwriters and arrangers they all are.
1: We actually talked about covering their songs multiple times because they're they're that good and that uh fitting for a rock band to play. Uh, I love Lauren Mayberry's vocals. I love the way that
0: uh, her voice they, is incredible.
1: It's, in, it's incredible. I love the way that they they write as a band cuz I, I don't know. I think they like Basically, write as a as a band, like as a trio. I don't think it's just one person uh, or two people like writing the songs, uh, and I think that that uh, results in just these like really cohesive feeling tracks, uh, and the you know the the lyrics. Um, I'm trying to find some some really great. Uh, Examples from this uh, from this track. The bridge, I think, stands out in particular, both for, for the lyrics and the, the melody of it. Uh, we are losing ground. It's time to save your neck, and I will try to find my feet and go. I embrace for words that never come, but I choose to decide that I don't regret it.
0: That's so good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in addition to writing as a band, they also produce their stuff like themselves and they do it all together as well. At least I know they did on their first record and I think on this one I'm not sure about the last one if they, you know, brought in another producer or not, but I know at least for the first two they were doing it all themselves, which was really cool.
1: Yeah, so just looking at the the credits for this particular track, they have like mixing, mastering, recording and uh, assistant mixing engineers. They have engineers that come in like help them Turn the knobs and make the sounds, but like they're doing the programming, the instrumentation, the vocals, the writing. Like it's the three of them doing that together. And I think that that's so dope.
0: Yeah, it's very cool.
1: I remember the first time I I saw them play a track live and had like actual live instruments, and that blew my mind. Like they had a, they're on like one of the late shows and they had a live drummer and uh, one of the two. Uh, synth players would also alternate uh, playing live bass. And I was like, fuck yeah, this sounds so good.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually saw them play right next to our apartment in Oakland at the Fox Theater. Oh, that's right. Out there. Oh, um, I'm so
1: mad that I missed that still.
0: Yeah, I can't remember why you didn't go to that show with me, but you should have. That show was so good. They were fantastic. In fact, this this opening track, Never Ending Circles, the, uh, the one guy busted out a bass. to uh to play that song and i was just like hell yeah (laughs) that whole show had me so pumped and one of my favorite things that actually lauren apparently does quite regularly she called out some dude being shitty in the crowd in the middle of the show i think he's basically screaming like lauren will you marry me or whatever and she's like does that normally work out for you proposing to people that you don't know (laughs) (laughs) oh i love it it was great it was really good
1: you know, that guy was embarrassed as fuck, rightfully so.
0: I hope so. He deserved it.
1: Another uh, just kind of fun fact about this, uh, recorded at Alucard Studios in Glasgow. Uh, Alucard, of course, being the, the uh, backwards spelling of Dracula and commonly the, the son of Dracula, especially in the Castlevania series, of which I just finished uh, season three on Netflix.
0: I, A, did not know that, and B, didn't know there was a series on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so good.
1: Uh, Written by Warren Ellis. Uh, And, yeah, very, very, very good.
0: Uh, Do recommend. I will have to add that to my list. So, I think
1: because we've uh, we've selected records that we both love, I think it's fitting that we kind of alternate in choosing what tracks to talk about.
0: Oh, I think that's fair. You know what? I'm going to do the thing we don't like to do and just go right in order, because Leave a Trace. Dig it. Never Ending Circles is a jam, and then Leave a Trace is even more of a jam in my opinion. Oh, yeah. That's just a great one-two punch for the start of that record.
2: I up time, Just like you said you- design, but you got it wrong And i go anywhere but there And you have
1: Do a really interesting thing that uh, uh, I I never quite understand if it's just simply a, a synth effect or if it is genuinely just like fucking around with vocals, like recording a, a few notes and then just like splicing them around. But there's like it's it's almost like a vocal turned percussion in the very beginning. That
0: there is something very uh, like human vocal esque about that. Whatever that is,
1: to the point where I sing it every time too. Yeah, me too. And then they have like this really like high pitched, like very like uh, bright sounding synth that like plays along with it in the background too, uh, or like kind of alternates with it. But like I always want to sing that (laughs) because it feels like it's vocals.
0: It does. It does kind of sound like a vocal slice, um, like a very heavily manipulated vocal slice for sure. Not sure if that's what it is because I know next to nothing about producing this kind of music. I wish I knew more.
1: The only thing I know is that I've, I've watched them play and they have the trigger pads and they just like, they, they tap on those so fast and with such precision. And I'm like, how do you remember every one of those? That's amazing. I love it.
0: Yeah. You know, I got one of those actually, because I wanted to start experimenting with some of that kind of stuff. and. The fact that, like, depending on what you're doing, the pads change what they do. Yeah. It's almost like, to me, imagine if, like, every time you picked up your guitar, like, every song, all the notes were different. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, the the strings were tuned to different notes. Like, I guess if you had a different tuning for every song, it would be kind of the same thing.
1: Like, Or you'd be Johnny Resnick.
0: Or you'd be Johnny Resnick. So maybe maybe we can ask him how he does it. Yeah, I guess you just get that muscle memory down. But to me, trying to learn a MIDI controller, uh, the Ableton Push specifically is the one I'm, I've been messing with, and trying to wrap my head around this thing where like the buttons are constantly changing what they are. Yeah, is really hard for me to wrap my head around. So like I, you know, I know a lot of people in in the rock world don't have a lot of respect for electronic musicians. Oh yeah. I used to be one of them, I'll be honest, but since getting into this band and since trying to learn how to do this kind of music, I've, I've learned it actually does take quite a lot of talent and a lot of, uh, a lot of know-how to, to make. It's not just pushing play on a, on a laptop.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking. Like I remember when I was younger, people would be like, electronic music isn't real. We need real instruments. Hang the DJ, blah, that kind of bullshit. And like, this shit like takes so much precision and so much patience to piece together. Uh, and like the thought of like what it takes to write one of these songs versus like if I sit around and noodle around for a half an hour and make a four chord pop song, I'm done technically, (laughs) like, and that not to say that there isn't a lot more work that goes into recording a full song with real instruments, or, you know, quote-unquote real instruments, but there's so much time, effort, and precision that goes into these layers of synths, uh, and then translating that to playing those live uh, in a way that isn't just, like, hitting a button and walking away. Like, they're actually playing those those devices uh along with like midi keyboards it's mind blowing to me
0: it really is and the thing that's more mind blowing to me is like again i'm i'm very much in the rock world so like i can go see a rock band with guitars and bass and and even some keys and i can i can hear what's happening and i mm-hmm. can know exactly who's doing what on stage mm-hmm. like who's making what sounds because I know those instruments so well and 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 what they do and how they sound. I look at uh, you know a band like Churches and I'm like I have no idea which one of you two dudes is making this cool noise I'm into right now. <laughs> and and the other thing is there's so many layers. I have to wonder like how much of it is being played live and how much of it is actually programmed and they're just playing along with it. And I I don't know the answer to that, mm-hmm. but the fact that I can't figure it out because of how complex, it's just, a, it's a completely different world to me. I just, it I really can't is. wrap my head around it and that drives me crazy, but in a good way. I think even a
1: lot of the stuff that is like just pre-programmed and like hit a button and then move on, like they're still like it might be one section of the song, like one like riff for lack of a better word, uh but then the song has to move on so like you have to time it right to hit the next button to uh, get the next part of the song going while still you know performing your parts I could be wrong on that, but just like the way that I've watched like they'll have uh and I'll talk about it with one of the the songs coming out, but you know they'll have like one part going on a loop for you know even like a couple minutes before they get into the track. And it's just the intro of the song for forever. But eventually that has to change. So somebody has to remember when to make that change.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's actually pretty common in Ableton Live. The software that goes along with the Ableton Push is like, you have different clips and you can trigger them. You know, it'll basically loop one until you trigger the next one. And so in that way, you can have programmed loops that are complex and intricate, But then you as the performer get to decide when things change into the next section or which, you know, which loop comes next. And you can mix things up and change things around. So you still, you know, it's not just a static thing. You're still actually kind of composing, you know, you're making a composition on the fly, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But again, it's it's something that, like, I've just barely scratched the surface of in my own life and, you know, just really don't know enough about yet. But bands like Churches make me want to do more.
1: This song has design and art direction credits, which I assume is probably for the uh, music video, which uh, churches has a lot of music videos, so if you dig this stuff, you get into it, uh, there's another experience there, the getting the visual aspect, uh, but I think it's just funny to look at song credits and see like design and like art direction for the song. That is interesting. (laughs) I want to call out, probably for for every track we talk about, at least one line uh, in the lyrics, because I think that the three of them write so well, as I've I've said already. uh, And I think... For me, and uh, I mean, you, you can say how you feel too, but I think for me on, on this track, the, uh, the pre-chorus uh, is the part that really stands out the most to me. And you would best believe that you cannot build what I don't need. Uh, and I know that I need to feel relief. And I know you'll never fold, but I believe nothing that I'm told.
0: <laughs> That's a great chorus, yeah. I love that. Or pre-chorus? Is that
1: the pre-chorus? Chorus? That is
0: the pre-chorus. Pre-chorus. No, I, I love that. That was. I think that was the first set of lyrics that really hooked me on this band. Walking around San Francisco with that in my headphones and, and just being like, "Hell yeah!"
1: Just before we recorded, I was going back through and listening to, to both of these records again just to, to refresh myself and just thinking like,
0: every song is a jam. <laughs> every song is a jam. It's just jam after jam after jam. Although. I will say, I'm not a huge fan of High Enough to Carry You Over. I
1: think that that is probably the one track on the whole regular record, because there's an extended version that's like twice as long, Uh, but it's probably the one track that if I skip anything, it's that one. In fact, uh, (laughs) I was listening on my, uh, my, my smart speaker, and I did ask it to skip that track.
3: Slowly diffusing. I'll be leaving now. Nobody's losing. If you could play your part, stay in resistance.
4: Every fault would fade into the distance. Run if you like. All the mistakes you left behind hold me down. You can't deny.
1: Me up, i'm glad that you called that out because that
0: makes yeah and i and i feel bad because it's it's the one song that like one of the guys sings it's not a
1: bad song it
0: just it's not it's not at all it's actually a very good song but It's not what I want when I put on a church's record. Yeah, I think is the problem.
1: It just stands out as like like different enough to break the flow of the record, Uh, and especially because it's kind of I think it's right in between uh, a couple of like really really solid songs. "Clearest Blue" and "Empty Thread" are both incredible. So I'm like, all right, well I go from one standout track and skip to the next one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's the other thing, is like, you're you're just coming off Clearest Blue, which is an absolute banger.
1: Which would have been the next track that I want to talk about.
0: So we'll talk about that one now. Uh, (laughs) And then, yeah, and then you're going, and then like, Empty Thread is coming up, and it's just like, I just want to get there. Uh,
1: Yeah, and I feel like there maybe is a different spot on the record where they could have put this song, uh, put High Enough to Carry You Over, that would have been less skippable, but right in between two like standout bangers. Yeah, that it maybe wasn't the best decision. So Clearest Blue. Clearest blue is the track that I was referring to earlier where like I've seen them perform it live and they'll just start that intro loop and just let it go, and let it go, and like just kind of slowly build that tension and then they, they start the, the track out.
2: Light it's all over us like a i
0: I've seen a few videos of them doing live mm-hmm. and the thing that I noticed the most about them live is how good of a singer Lauren actually is. Oh God. Yeah. Anyone can go into a studio and with enough post-processing magic and, and tweaking, can, can, you can sound pretty good, especially mm-hmm. for, you know, like a layered pop thing. Yeah. I shouldn't say anyone, but you know, it's, it, it's, it can be done. Anywho, Clear Blue, <laughs> live, Lauren, singing. She's very accurate, live, and I know a lot of pop singers will use autotune live on their vocals. It doesn't sound to me like she does. I don't want to say definitively that she doesn't, because I don't actually know for sure, but I would be willing to bet that she doesn't, because it, it really doesn't sound like it to me.
1: I am pretty sure she doesn't, mostly because I've heard her sing uh, in, like, various venues and in various uh, situations, and, like, I can hear the imperfections. Not that she isn't, like dead-on in the the melodies uh, and, like, gets her parts right, but, like, she's human, and you can hear that in here. Like, you can hear when it's a little shaky because she's nervous because, she, you know, she's on, like, a live TV show or something like that or, like, in front of 40,000 people at a festival, but she still fucking nails it because she's that good. Can't remember if it was this track or another one off this record that I saw them do in just, like, this really stripped-down, like, acoustic format... Uh, specifically because they're like, they have all of these huge layers as a synth pop band. And they're like, uh, you know, we wanted to see could we do the complete opposite? Can we take it down to this really like intimate bare bones setting and have it still be good? And it absolutely was. And what made me think of that was a quote. Uh, again, I'm back on Genius Lyrics, back on my bullshit. Uh, from Your favorite website. <laughs> my favorite website for this podcast. Ian, one of the uh, other guys from the band, uh, says, On this album, compared to our approach on the bones of what you believe, we wanted to strip down the multi-layered approach and focus on having only a few elements in the arrangement at uh, any given time. We felt that this gave the songs more character and made them sound more focused and less dense. This approach created a lot more space for the vocals and the big instrumental hooks when they arrive. Uh, And that last uh, line, I think, describes this song to a T created a lot more space for the vocals and the big instrumental hooks when they arrive. Those things soar where they're like, like the music uh, lets them do that. It steps back and lets the, the parts that need to stand out really shine.
0: Yeah, that's one of those production things I think I've, uh, I think we've talked about before where you, know, if, if everything is huge, nothing is huge. Mm-hmm. And so for something to be big, you need something else to be small. And so, creating space and arrangements is is very, very important. In fact, something someone once pointed out to me, and now that I know it, uh, I can't unhear it, and so now I'm going to bestow this information on all of you. Oh, excellent. A very common trick in pop production is that you'll have the verse, you'll have an intro, you'll have a verse, and then the pre-chorus, the energy drops a little bit. You know, like mm-hmm. the the, per- the drums will stop, or, you know, it'll be just like a... You know, a single synth or something with a line over it That way when the chorus comes in It sounds twice as big as it was gonna If you had just gone straight into it
1: That is absolutely true
0: Yeah, and now if you listen for it in pop music You will hear it all the time It fucking works though It really does It's a, There's a reason it's in almost every pop song Is because it does the trick um, And it- Churches definitely employs this trick In many of their songs And they do it quite well
2: All of the empty. Floor.
1: Last track on what would be the standard record is called Afterglow. And it's just this really, really, like, quiet, like, simple song that's basically just Lauren singing over these, like, synth parts. Uh, Well, of course it's all synth parts, like, string parts. Uh, and it's just this, like, kind of mournful, soulful melody, um, That I just, I absolutely love. The outro of just her repeating over and over again, I've given up all I can. I've given up all I can. It's just like, whoa. And then the song is over. It's a hard hitter. (laughs) The song is over, the record's over, and you're like, shit, now I have to wait like four years for the next one to come out. Uh, Because (laughs) that's what happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great closer. But uh, bury it. Bury It. Talk Bury It is that. my jam.
1: Bury It is a great
0: song. Bury It and Rise Above is a pretty solid anthem to live your life by. Yeah. If I do say so myself.
1: There's also a really great harmony on that track, that are, uh, specifically on that chorus, that I think is, yes. is really cool. Because uh, that main melody is so high, there's a really great like mid-range uh, harmony uh, under it that carries it really well.
0: Yeah, the, the harmony in that chorus
1: is fantastic. Um, but yeah, the the line I never promised you anything I couldn't do, we tried to bury it and rise above. You never promised me you would see it differently. Buried and rise above. So good. <laughs> I just I, I can't get over how good the writing is on this record. Yeah, it's but, fantastic. And like I'm I am curious like if it really is like a a group effort for each track or if uh, one person tends to contribute like more for all or if it's kind of like you know Ian writes one Martin writes another Lauren writes another or or what I would be would be really curious to learn more about their actual writing process as a band
0: um from what I've gathered I think it seems like they pretty much just write all together they work on it all together um I don't know about lyrics but definitely for music and arrangements it sounds like that's what they do yeah and they're damn good at it damn good why don't we hear bury it by churches from the album every open eye and when we come back we'll talk about my pick stay tuned Hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fite.
1: And I'm Caleb Coy. And together, we plumb the murkiest depths and scour the darkest corners of the internet in search of movies. Movies you might have missed. Or purposefully skipped over. We break down the madness and offer tiny tidbits of trivia. Or sometimes just yell into the abyss about how these movies ever got made. Catch a new episode every week.
0: to Left of the Dial. I'm your host, Kitsy, and still with me is Caleb Coy. Caleb, how you doing?
1: Still Coogan.
0: <laughs> still Coogan. All right.
1: How you holding up over there?
0: Man, my allergies are, are killing me. Spring has sprung in Philadelphia this week, and Oof. I made the grave mistake of falling asleep with my bedroom window open. Two nights ago. Oh, no. And I've been ruined ever since. I am uh, just an absolute mess of ugh. allergies right now.
1: Oh, my, my sinus is just constricted at the thought of that.
0: My pick for this week is The 59 Sound by the Gaslight Anthem. What a great and record. This is a great record. And the song you just heard was Great Expectations, the opening track of the record. This is, I think, one of the first records you and I bonded over.
1: I'm fairly positive that that's correct, because this is definitely one of the first ones that I remember sitting and listening to, and then playing along to, and then learning every song, and thinking about how we should basically just
0: cover every song on this. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we did at one point have a rendition of just about every song on this record.
1: When I told Ellen that we were doing these two records, uh, she was stoked because she she loves both of them as well. Uh, and she specifically uh, mentioned how, uh, basically, she owes you for knowing about this record because uh, when helping her with uh, setting up a, a new computer, once you saw how abysmal her iTunes library was and just put a shit ton of music on her computer for her uh, and said, listen to it and
0: specifically pointed out this record. That sounds like something I would have done.
1: (laughs) She's like, I had a terrible music library and somehow I married a musician. And I was like, that that's true.
0: Great expectations is one of my favorite Gaslight Anthem songs for, for a couple reasons. The first reason is in the in the chorus. There's that line: "Everybody leaves, so why wouldn't you?" Oh God, yeah. Or uh, everyone leaves, and I'd expect as much from you. I think is also a thing he says in the song. Yeah. And when I first heard this record, I kind of took it as like you know, in the context of like I'm having a party, people are over at my house, everyone left. Why are you still here? <laughs> I would like to go to bed now. Please get out of my house. <laughs> Because I didn't really pay that close of attention to the rest of the lyrics uh, in the in the song. But then when I finally did, I realized it was saying, like, you know, he he's saying, like, everyone else has left me, and you're going to do the same, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Like, why uh, wouldn't you?
1: This song slapped me right in the face the first time I heard it because of those lines. I mean, I was in a, a, a weird rut in my life at the time when we, when you, I think you probably introduced me to this. If not you, then Joshua, but, like... It was right around that same time somebody said, you need to listen to this. Uh, and, like, hearing that line, I was just like, fuck, this hurts. This hurts bad. Uh, I saw taillights last night in a dream about my first wife. Everybody leaves and I'd expect as much from you. I'm like, just... Yep. That that imagery, and that's something that Brian Fallon is really good at. It's just this like yes. gut wrenching imagery, and he does some really interesting stuff. Like you know he'll he'll borrow uh, words and phrases from uh, songs that he loves, uh, and he'll make a lot of uh, references to like the the same imagery, the same people, the same things, stuff like that. But like he really like creates that like. You know, if, if uh, unless you're one of the people who can't picture things in your brain, which I learned recently is a thing, uh, he creates that image in your head so vividly.
0: He really does. Which I think is a great transition into High Lonesome. So you getting for the
4: same boys who once bought you everything. And the we
0: So, High Lonesome is a great example of him borrowing lyrics. Um, oh, yeah. Because there's uh, Maria came from Nashville with a suitcase in her hand, which I believe is a Counting Crows uh, reference.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second line also, I like. I always kind of sort of wished I looked like Elvis, because it's uh, Maria came from Nashville with a suitcase in her hand, said so she'd like to meet a boy who looks like Elvis.
0: Oh, there we go. There it is. Yep. Um, and uh. then he also... Uh, Much to the surprise of no one, uh, dumps a Springsteen reference in here.
1: Oh my god, yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, With uh, At Night I Wake Up With The Sheet Soaking Wet. It's a pretty good song, baby. You Know The Rest, which of course is a uh, reference to I'm On Fire. Which is just one of
1: my favorite jams. That's a great song. I love that song so much. It's obvious when you listen to this record that he's very into Springsteen or that they are very into Springsteen. Uh, I mean, there's homages to, to him all throughout it, uh, but I love when he just puts it right out there. Um, what, so he references, he says there was, there was Southern accents on the radio uh, as I drove home. What is that? Like, that's got to be a song. Is that a Springsteen song?
0: Uh, it might be.
1: Because it's right before that, uh, I'm on fire reference. Uh, yeah. Tom Petty, Southern accents is Tom Petty.
0: There we go. That makes sense. He did that, love Tom Petty. That makes absolute yep. sense.
1: <laughs> We're piecing the puzzle together here. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and then to go to go off of what you said on the imagery thing, like there's that there's a line like, uh, and in my head there's all these classic cars and outlaw cowboy bands.
1: Yep. Uh, like following that up I always kind of sort of wished I was someone else and like less now as I grow and I mature but like I felt that so hard
0: oh yeah (laughs) at the the time this came out in my mid-twenties yeah I felt that real hard
1: so a lot of the the tracks on 59 Sound are these like big rock jams they're like really just kind of like mid-tempo groovy just like real easy sing-along tracks but like there's a few times that he brings it down to like those uh, those sad nights sitting alone at the bar sipping a glass of whiskey or staring out the window at the rain and I think here's looking at you kid is uh, a perfect example of one of those you can tell Gail if she calls
3: that I'm famous now for all of these rock and roll songs and even if that's a lie You should've given me a try. When we were kids on the field of the first day of school, I would've been her fool, and I would've sang out your name in those old high school halls. You tell that to Gail if she calls. if she writes that I'm drunk off all these stars and all these crazy Hollywood nights, and that's total deceit, but she should've married me and tell her I spent every night my youth on the floor, bleeding out from all these. I would have gotten her right out of that town She despised You tell that to Jamie if she writes. But boys will be boys And girls have those eyes That'll cut you to ribbons sometimes And all you can do is just wait by the moon And believe if it's what she says
1: And it's all this imagery of, like, you know, girls from his past, uh, like, you know, if she asks about me, like tell her all these great things, you know, tell her I'm famous for all these rock and roll songs. And, you know, even that's a lie, but like she should have given me a try. You know, tell Jane if she writes that I'm drunk off all these stars and these crazy Hollywood nights. And that's total deceit, but she should have married me. <laughs> and like yeah. all this imagery that, like, you know, tell them I'm doing fine, even though like I'm not, but like I wish, I wish that I was. <laughs> yeah. And it's like this, it's this this sad, like really soulful song, and just like because like nostalgia is a beast, and like it, this this song is like pure nostalgia.
0: I mean, I would say this record is pure nostalgia, really. It, it, mm-hmm. it kind of had like I mean that's easy to say now, you know, 12 years out, but even back in 2008, it had a very nostalgic feel to it, which might be why they called it the 59 sound.
1: Oh, that would make sense.
0: Maybe. Um, I mean, there is a slapback delay on the vocals in every track, which is uh, a, at the time I didn't like that. I actually wasn't a big fan of that, but now I, I'm, I've come around and I love it.
1: And like, again, the, the imagery is like, so much of this stuff is stuff that I like directly related to. I mean, you know, being young on the East Coast, like Diner Life was was the life. And yep. so the line where it's like I used to wait in a diner a million nights without her, praying she wouldn't cancel again tonight. Like shit, I've been there. Um, I do love that the uh, the title is. I mean, we talk about how he references uh, other musicians and whatnot, but you know, this title is obviously a nod to Casablanca. You know, here's looking at you, kid. Yep, Humphrey Bogart.
0: And there's such a there's such a pretty. Guitar lead in this song, too. Alex does such a good job on that uh, that little floating kind of melody that weaves in and out of the vocals. And it's just, it's very nice. And then I love this. This is, this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about pop songs and how they take it down before the big drop for the chorus.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. I know where you're going with this.
0: This is the, this is kind of the record sequencing version of that because they, uh you know they kind of bring the energy down with here's looking at you kid and then end on the back seat which is just this anthemic driving tune it's it's just it's a fantastic closer for the record you know it even goes out on this kind of like epic instrumental kind of thing that sounds like it's gonna fade out but then it, it just kind of ends uh in a good way and i just i love that track
1: Maybe it's just the the nature of it being right after such a like quiet slow jam, but this is arguably like the hugest song on this record and yeah. like, it just it goes out with
0: such a bang. it really does um especially like even the song they kind of bring it down towards the end.
1: you know the summer always brought in that wild and reckless breeze and in the back seats we just tried to find some room for our knees
0: and that just kind of repeats as it builds. And then goes into that rockin' outro. And I'm I'm gonna do it because I have to do it. There's this woo-hoo, woo-hoo,
1: woo-hoo behind yes. it. which is just so good as it's like slowly building with that like re- repetition of the you know the summer always brought in that wild and reckless breeze.
0: And like it's just so, like oh, it's it's crafted is what it is. It it really is. And I love that he can take such a simple little thing and put you right in a situation in your mind like in the back seat we just try to find some room for our knees like I, and i'm right there crammed in the back seat of a car it's
1: just like you you can feel how cramped it is it's it's a hot summer night you're crammed in the back of the car and it's just it's you and your friends and it's just life it's just being yep. young i feel it now these cowboys all go crazy in the heat chasing the lights and all the girls along Santa Ana streets
0: uh, what a great song to go out on! But we're not going to go out on that yet because we have no, a few more to talk about. We do. I want to talk about Old White Lincoln, actually. So I'm actually
1: glad that you you bring that up because I swear that the very first copy of this record that I heard or had in my possession did not have this track on it.
0: Yes, that okay, is correct. Thank you. That is correct, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. That's why I want to talk about this song. I got this record. From, so this was back when, like, you'd get records, like, your friends would burn you a CD, mm-hmm. like, back when that was, like, a thing. And my, my friend Daryl, who I used to play in a band with in central Pennsylvania... So Daryl uh, was into this band before I was. Um, I, I, I have a confession to make. I hated their first record.
5: Mm-hmm. I thought it
0: was terrible. I have since changed my opinion on that. But for whatever reason, I just couldn't get into them. And then this record came out, and he's like, trust me, give it a listen, you'll like it. And he was right. And then having heard it, I went back to the first record and heard it through New Ears and was like, oh, no, this actually is really good. Anyway, I'm getting off the topic. For some reason, Daryl burned me a CD without Old White Lincoln on it. And I don't know why, I don't know why he did that. I don't so know if he weird. meant to do that. I have no idea. But that's the copy. I'm, presumably you got this record from me then because I would have made you the same copy of the record. It has to have been. And it wasn't until I bought it on vinyl and listened to it for the first time that I heard Old White Lincoln. And, like, coming out of the 59 sound, I was so used to going right into High Lonesome, and then Old White Lincoln came on. I was like, what the fuck is this song? Yeah. And to this day, when I listen to this record, that song still is very jarring for me, because I'm like, what, huh?
1: It's only recently that I've started to come around to, like, to actually appreciate the song and not skip it out of, like... A knee jerk like, reaction of like, this doesn't belong here.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it's, <laughs> and, a, it's like, a great song.
1: It is a great song, but like, it's just that feeling of like, this is wrong. This doesn't belong here. And like, I just, I'm glad we're finally talking about this because for the longest time, I just thought it was like maybe a reissue of the record and they added another song. But I'm like, it's a, like, just a strange place to shoehorn a song in that didn't go there. But I mean, it, it, it did go
0: there. I just didn't know that. <laughs> I know. And that's not what happened at all. It's always <laughs> been there. We just didn't know it.
1: <laughs> I'm so happy to finally have that like like settled and solved in my brain cuz like there's a part of me that like always knew that there there's no possible way that this was just like a a weird one-off from a re-release, especially because any other time that I, I looked for this record in any format, that track was always on there. But, like, I just never wanted to accept it because I had this idea in my head of this album, like, complete without this.
0: Yeah, because we listened to it so many times with, without that track in there, and it just kind of got, in, that order got ingrained in our heads. It took me a while. Only recently I figured out what was happening and why that, why that was. And for the longest time, I thought it was some Mandela effect thing where, like, for some reason I remembered the record wrong. Mm-hmm and i couldn't figure out why and then uh then i i figured out why
1: i love it like this apparently is at least vaguely a true story too uh apparently brian knew a girl who had an old white lincoln and they would go racing and she would win because her car was better
0: that's the most brian fallon thing i've ever heard in my life yeah <laughs> it, it totally makes sense Good. Good. And it's it's funny because this actually ends ended up being one of my favorite songs on the record once I finally came around to it. Um I really like the 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 intro like the twinkly guitar part in the beginning is just really nice.
1: Yeah. Probably just running around the house now. I think she's she's all jazzed up.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of jazz. Oh. That's a great segue into the song after Miles Davis and The Cool, The Patient Ferris Wheel. <laughs>
5: oh.
0: I, didn't, I didn't really... I mean, we can talk about Miles Davis and The Cool, um, but I really wanted to talk about The Patient Ferris Wheel, um, and that was, just seemed like a good transition. Well, uh, we Too should... good of a transition to, to leave on the table. This song has a guest vocal from... I forget his name, but the dude from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones.
1: You don't say...
0: Dickie yeah. Barrett, yeah, Dickie Barrett, that's his name. That actually
1: makes a a, a a lot of sense now. Like everything is really just coming together for this record. Because I <laughs> we wondered should have done this
0: years ago. <laughs> yeah.
1: I wondered who that like weird kind of local was. Yeah, that's uh,
0: that's Dicky Barrett.
1: <laughs> that makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Wow. 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 Bad
0: about it. <laughs> There he is. <laughs> yeah, There's, I actually wondered for a long time too. I was like who? Like that doesn't sound like anybody in the band. It's no, it's not. It's Dicky Barrett. That
1: is. uh It's it's simultaneously my my favorite and least favorite part of the song. And I think it's because it like it's so jarring. Like again, it it's, is. It's like that. Huh? That that is that is not anyone in this band. Or it, it is. And like someone said, like. You there, yell this line. And he's like, all right, this, this is what I was born for. Talk about her! <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I'm getting so many good little clips of you on this, uh, this, this episode. I'm about to save them up. Uh,
1: I, I think it's a combination of lack of like proper planning so everything's off the cuff and also being like so inside and out familiar with these records that like I have these, these yeah. quirks that just like in my head when I listen to them, this is just what I do.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, Cause honestly, if you're driving along in your car, <laughs> I know you don't have a car anymore, but if, if just the, the proverbial you you're driving <laughs> along in your car and this song comes on and you're not singing along the Dicky Barrett part, what are you even doing with your life? Yeah.
1: What, what like honestly who even are you you think you're better than me
0: and why are you (laughs) in my house get out of my house So I don't think we can talk about this record without talking about the title track, the '59 Sound.
1: This track also has this really great music video that just like really like is exactly what I picture when I hear this song. Like some videos uh, are like really just kind of like fully like uh, artist vision; they kind of go wild to do whatever they want, and it's you know just like like beautiful imagery and whatnot. But some of them are like. Uh, what I would consider more like literal interpretations of the song and I feel like this fits pretty closely into the latter uh, and this song being very like a tragic story about like losing somebody and especially like in, in like it happening in one of those times where like you couldn't be there there's nothing you could do about it and, like couldn't say goodbye but like you know you you have these specific memories of them you know, We we said it early on it's this like Really, just gut-wrenching imagery that Brian Fallon is so good at.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like it. It might have been a car accident that was the. Uh, was yeah, that, there's a line like, "I wonder were you scared when the metal hit the glass? I was playing a show down the road when the spirit left your body." Yeah, that's that's heavy.
1: Just these these lines like, "Did you hear the old gospel choir when they came to carry you over? Did you hear your favorite song one last time?" Sometimes I kind of want to imagine that that's what death is like. Yeah. You you just you hear that music one last time before you go, that'd be uh, nice. Yeah, but even like the the way he opens this the the song, you know, I wonder which song they're going to play when we go. I hope it's something quiet, minor, peaceful, and slow. Uh, which again is a very Brian Fallon thing to say.
0: You know, I always took that as like I wonder what song they're going to play at my funeral. Mm-hmm. But now that you mention it, I think he's actually referring to like. Cause I never, I never made that connection in my head of like, you know, did you hear the old gospel choir when they came to carry over? Did you hear your favorite song one more time? Like, yeah, I never really put that together at, at, with the the first uh, first lines of the first verse. That's actually pretty cool.
1: Yeah, And like I I can see it like both ways, and it's one of those things where like it could potentially mean both things. Um uh, yeah. But I just I love that there's that connected imagery. You know, we you mentioned the the nostalgia of this entire record you know, did you hear the 59 sound coming through your grandmama's radio? Like, just like that, that brings to mind just like sitting around listening to an old radio. And like, you know, I didn't personally have a a strong connection with really any of my grandparents, but I can still like picture that, like sitting around a living room, listening to like a crackly old radio, listening to Miles Davis, for example, you know, things like that. And I feel like, uh he's really good at like these little ways of tying the entire record together you know it's not like a concept album per se uh but it's a very like coherent and cohesive uh piece of art that bridge which is this really like staccato uh like repetitive guitar line and just the, the you know the young boys young girls ain't supposed to die on a saturday night Oh, that's so good. It's so, like, powerful. Because, again, it brings it way down and then, boom, back into the chorus. Just like
0: you said, like, you know, he does that a lot. And he's, like, really masterful with it. Well, we're going to listen to the 59 sound. But before we do, uh, Caleb, we have a Patreon now. Did you know that? Uh, I I don't know that I did. Tell me about it. So, basically, it's a way uh, for our fans to... Give us money in exchange for the podcast, um, but not like just that. the podcast. They get they get other things too. So uh, you know, we we go on a lot of rants and we have a lot of outtakes in our podcast, and and I usually cut those out for just for the sake of keeping the podcast, you know, uh, in a, t- a timely narrative and 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 have the flow there. But uh, sometimes they're pretty funny, so I put them together as like little bonus episodes of just That's our good. outtakes.
1: Because we're at, a, at, I think, at least an hour and a half without the uh, the musical interludes at this point, so it's yes. probably good that you do that.
0: It is. It's time consuming, but I think it's I think it's the right thing to do. You know, I don't want to just throw that audio out. Some of it's pretty funny, so I I turn it into little mini episodes of outtakes. You can get a Patreon. You also get uh, on Patreon, you get access to the episodes uh, twenty four hours in advance. So. Uh, if you just can't wait to hear what we talk about next, you'll get it a day early. Part of the deal with Patreon too is, uh, we, you can get a shout out, uh, of your name in an episode. So, uh, I'd like to shout out our, our first and newest Patreon, Andrea Quinn. Andrea, thank you so much for supporting Left of the Dial. It means thank a lot. Thank you,
1: Andrea. You're
0: if awesome. If you want to have, if you want to hear Caleb and I say your name on an upcoming episode, uh, you can give us money and we'll do it. That's a terrible... <laughs> sales pitch. Say my name, say my name. But, you know, it supports the show and helps us continue to produce this thing because it is a very time-consuming show to produce. If you got an extra five bucks a month and you can throw it our way to help us produce this show, uh, it would go a long way to uh, helping us make the show even better and continuing to do this week after week for you.
1: And if you uh, are also able to, make sure you support the bands that we talk about. Buy their records, go see them play, buy their t-shirt, tell your friends, uh, because you know that's how uh, that's how bands make it.
0: Yeah, especially right now with South by Southwest and other festivals and, and big tours being canceled, a lot of bands that were relying on that income uh, oh, are suddenly finding themselves without it. So if you uh, that's right. if there's a band that you like out there, go uh, go pick up an, a record or a T-shirt or something. Uh, Bandcamp is a great way to uh, give bands some extra money. If you, you know, they, they set a minimum price for the record, but if you want to throw them an extra couple bucks to help them out, you can do that on Bandcamp. camp. So absolutely band Bandcamp. go find your favorite band on there and, and grab a copy of their record to help them out a little bit. Cause, uh, everyone's kind of hurting right now, uh, with, uh, these tours and festivals being canceled. So, uh, try to support the bands as best you can. Yes. Uh, Caleb, where can we find you on the internet? Ah, well,
1: if you want to, uh, to, to, find me on the social medias, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, both at Caleb Micah. Uh, and if you're interested in more, uh, night shift productions, night shift radio productions, uh, content, uh, you can check out our other podcast. Never heard of it at the that's T H E N H O I T.com. And, uh, we here at Night Shift are uh, very excited to uh, putting together some some great new, uh, new content, new shows, and uh, really uh, wanting to, to fill your ears with delight. Yes. What about you?
0: What about me? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kitsy. I'll be hanging out there, occasionally posting things, mostly just lurking these days, uh, but I'll be there. And you can find us, uh, as in Caleb and I, as in this show at Left of the Dial PC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please uh, give us a follow, give us a like, give us a retweet. Just let us know you're out there. PC, does that stand for personal computer? No, I don't know who <laughs> keeps spreading that rumor. It doesn't stand <laughs> for personal computer. I don't know who you are or what you want, but I will find you and I will make you understand that the PC stands for podcast. I am sick of these rumors. Sick of it. I'm sick of it. Yeah, also you can find us online at leftofthedial.fm, our website, uh where you can find show notes, so you can find links to everything we talk about in the episodes, uh tour dates for the bands, uh where you can stream their records, where you can buy their records, uh so on and so forth. So head on over to left and uh click on the links. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been Left at the Dial, a Night Shift radio production. We're going to hear the 59 sound from the gas anthem off the album of the same name to take us out, and we will catch you next week. Thanks so much for listening.